Okay, um, Bible reading is uh, Genesis chapter 39. It's on page 43 of the Bibles where you're sitting. I'll give you a chance to get there. Chapter 39, it's entitled Joseph and Potiphar's Wife. Hee hee. Uh, Page 43, chapter 39, starting at verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me! But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me, and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to, make, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is the word of the Lord. I bet some of you are pleased that I chose myself to preach on this passage and not someone else, eh? Okay, let us pray and we'll move on from there. So Lord, as we 
look at this passage now from Genesis chapter 39. Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Saviour, and our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if we've, if we've got our Bibles, let's turn to, to Genesis chapter, chapter 39 on, on, on page 43, I think it is, of, of, the, of, the, of the Pew Bible. And let's, let's look at this passage that we've, that we've got before us this morning. If you're a new Christian, maybe you didn't realize there was passages like this in the Bible. That's a pretty sort of like, sort of like frontal encounter, or should we say demand for, for sex. Because we, we live, don't we, in this, in this sex-obsessed world out there. Don't we, when we think about it. That's the world that we, that we, that we live in. Last, last month I read one of, the, one of the, what I think is probably the saddest article I've ever read, just about, in the Times newspaper. It was, it was an article that was depicting, if you like, the sex life of a, of a 23-year-old, sort of like woman today. Typical 23-year-old today, sort of like, and what she got up to. And she was called Hannah. It's a, it's a real name, just in case you did think that these things just happen in tabloid newspapers and don't happen in broadsheets. Let me tell you a bit about what Hannah had been up to the night before. She'd met this guy using the, using the dating app Tinder. If you don't know what Tinder is, it's a dating app. It's how most people meet the person in the end that they marry, basically, online today. And she just met this guy through Tinder, basically. She didn't really know his name. And she kind of ended up in bed with him that night. And she woke up the next morning and she decided to take a selfie that she could then send to, to all her friends. And then, kind of like the horror thing for me, as sort of like someone who's nearly twice Hannah's age, was that she then phoned her parents for a lift home. You know, this is, this is the life of the world in which we live in, and she's not typical. She is not typical of what is going on in, shall we say, places like St. Helier this morning. Never mind... Um, Sent one. And she's basically, she's not interested in finding a boyfriend. She really isn't. Because when it comes to love and commitment, she's absolutely frigid. Because in her own words, she talks about her life as having no hope. Because, if you like, of the world's economic problems. And so she talks quite openly about her and her friends, if you like, sexual lives and love lives being an absolute mess. And the amount of money that they try and spend on therapists to, to fix them. And then she talks about deep down all that she wants. All that she wants is in life love and intimacy. And therein lies the tragedy, doesn't it? Because she has no idea of how all that she does wars against what she wants the most. And so this passage, when we talk about it today, when we think about what it means to, if you like, resist 
whatever was thrown at Joseph that day by Potiphar's wife. For Hannah, it's just not on her radar. Yet if you, if you follow God and you, you claim to be a Christian, it has to be on your radar. And so this morning, rather than thinking so much about 23-year-old Hannah's life, we see a glimpse into 23-year-old Joseph's life. If you remember, last week we started the story of, of Joseph and we're asking God the question, this question during Lent, God, what is your dream for me at this stage of my life? What is your dream for me at this stage of my life? It doesn't matter whether you're young, whether you're old, God has dreams for us all the time. And to do that, we're exploring it through the, through the book of Joseph. And last week, we, we started the story, and we looked at the two dreams that Joseph had, if you like, as a teenager, that he was going to end up as this great leader. And we talked a bit about this ABC guide for how we identify, if you like, our God dream for our life. And if you missed last week, then it's up online, and you can pick it up from there. But... Once you start asking that question of God, once you start seriously thinking about, God, what is your dream for me at this stage of your life? Here's what I know. At some stage pretty close afterwards, you will find that you will face some sort of opposition to that happening. Sometimes some bad things will just start to happen in your life. In other ways, it will be more overt. And that's exactly what happens in Joseph's life. Because last time we left him thinking that his life was just going to go all in one direction and he was all going to end up as this great leader by the time he was 23. And the exact opposite has happened. In between the two readings, he's been sold, if you like, by his brothers. First of all, they threw him down a well and they were going to leave him there to, to die because they hated the fact that he was his dad's favorite and that Joseph lorded it over them. And so they were going to leave him there down a well. And instead, what do they do? They sell him to some Ishmaelite merchants. And then the Ishmaelite merchants suddenly decide after that that what they're going to do is they're going to sell him into slavery. And he goes and becomes a slave in the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's armies, sort of like household a man called Potiphar. And as we see in today's reading, actually it gets even worse for Joseph before it gets better. And so this morning, when it comes to thinking about how do we fulfill our God dreams in our life, what I want us to think about is one of the biggest weapons, if you like, that the devil has at his disposal that he will try to stop in any way whatsoever to thwart those things happening in your life. And it's this. It's temptation. And so as we look at this passage, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 12 in particular, I want to give us a framework, a framework that we can watch in Joseph's life to see how we can overcome temptation in, each, in, in our lives. Because none of us have a problem in this area, do we? None of us have a problem with temptation, do we? It doesn't just stop because you get older, does it? Please tell me it does, <laughs> basically. Because it's still around now as it was when I was 20. But you know, this framework can be, can be liberating. 
for us. It can liberate us because it will actually release us into a deeper life with God. But as we survey the text, and I've spent a fair bit of time in this text over the years, and particularly over the last month, I want you to notice something. The text is absolutely silent about how or even if Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. If you think about it, temptation is only attractive if we're tempted. And we're not told if Joseph was. It could be assumed, but we're not told, are we? Potiphar's wife is throwing himself, throwing herself at Joseph, but just because someone throws herself at you doesn't mean that you're attracted to them, does it? We're not told if he was if he was tempted. And also, the other thing, if we if we notice as well, we can't just assume that this temptation is purely sexual. As I've told you before, there are three great temptations out there. Pride, greed, and sex. They're summed up most succinctly in 1 John 2 and verse 16. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. And Joseph could have been consumed with passion for Potiphar's wife. He could have found her irresistibly attractive. Equally, he could have been flattered by the pride of it of having some type of control over Potiphar's wife. And equally, he then again could have been ravaged by greed for possessing the one part of Potiphar's household that he didn't control. And when you've been given a bit of power, no matter where you are, it's very easy for that power to then corrupt. But then I thought about this and I thought, well, it doesn't tell us. And it's precisely because the text is silent on it that it gives us a framework. Because the actions we take when we're not tempted by someone or something is the exact actions that we should take when we are tempted. And so therefore, the framework is applicable to any type of temptation. It just so happens that Joseph has this woman throwing himself at him. And they're just as applicable no matter how intense or prolonged or sustained the temptation is. So let's look at the text and let's see this framework and how it works in, in his life. Here's the, here's the first part of this framework in verses 7 and 8. Let your no mean no. Here we go. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. And then in verse 10, when she has another go, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Let your no mean no. Joseph didn't succumb because he was firm against any advances from Potiphar's wife. And she doesn't just stop after one go. She's relentless and systematic. And when that's going on in our lives, isn't it? It can be very easy when we're repeatedly tempted to just become tired. To just let our guard slip. And we begin to descend down the slippery slope. With Joseph, no meant no. A firm no 
rebuts an awful lot of things in whatever type of temptation we face. Here's the second thing. Be thankful for what you do have. We see this in verse, verse 8 and verse 9. He told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Joseph didn't give in to temptation because he remembered and was grateful for everything he did have rather than for grabbing something that was outside of his control. You see, all temptation, isn't it? All temptation is driven by a desire for more. That's what the Bible tells us. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when we're dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-blown, gives birth to death. You know, we all know the saying, don't we? The grass is greener on the other side. But in my experience of the, shall we say, the rectory garden, the grass is only greener where it's watered and fed. And that's the problem, isn't it, for many faced with temptation. Often it's because the home turf is dry and lacking nutrition. And Potiphar's wife's head got turned and her eyes sparkled towards Joseph because her husband was absent. That's the picture we're given. If you read the story through of of, of Potiphar, he's this high-ranking, if you like, successful army officer, the captain of the guard, but as far as his home life is concerned, he's kind of this clueless, absent husband. He doesn't kind of know what's going on. It didn't start out that way, but God's favor seems to be on Joseph, and everything that Joseph does in his household touches, seems to go to gold. And so Joseph suddenly becomes allowed to be a slave inside the house. Then he almost becomes Potiphar's personal assistant. And soon he's managing his whole household. His whole wealth and his assets are under Joseph's control. And all he seems to be bothered about is this, if you look in verse 6. All he's bothered about is making sure that there's food on the table before he goes to work. And there's food on the table when he comes back. And Joseph is just the blue-eyed slave. He's just the person who's there. And it just becomes a gradual thing. It doesn't help, of course, that he's kind of like got a great body and great looks to go with it as well. Because that's what the text means by Joseph here. And... As far as Potiphar's wife is concerned, Joseph now is given another duty. He's to be her sex slave as far as she's concerned. That's how it's supposed to work out. But it didn't start out that way. It was just a gradual thing. The husband becomes a bit distant and all of a sudden the lust of her eyes turned to Joseph. And that's why a lot of marriage difficulties occur today, don't we? Because couples just end up living separate lives. And being thankful and appreciative of what we do have helps to overcome temptation. Here's the third part in this framework. 
Let your love for God be stronger than the temptation you're facing. In verse 9b, Joseph says, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Let your love for God be stronger than the temptation you're facing. That's why Joseph didn't give in, because his love for God was stronger than anything that Potiphar's wife could offer. As C.S. Lewis once said, Every Christian would agree that a man or woman's spiritual health is directly proportional to his love for God. And we all know what the greatest temptation out there is, don't we? It's not to meet with God. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy every day to find excuses how not to meet with God. I have to think, oh, well, there's something more important and everything like that. But here's what I know. When I don't do it, it opens up so many other temptations or distractions that just come along. That's why it's the number one temptation. And the world will tell you a very convincing story. And this island will tell you a very convincing story of how you can just get on in life without doing God. It's why our spiritual practices should be drawing us into a deeper love for Jesus. And so if they don't, then change them to make sure that they do. Because here's the thing. Sometimes you will find in life, like I found in life, that you find these ferocious, full-on encounters with temptation that just rear themselves day after day after day. Sometimes we fail at them. Sometimes we overcome them. And we overcome them by then increasing the bar ourselves in those practices and allowing our love for God to be deeper than the temptation that we're facing. And when that happens, Jesus sees. And when that happens, in my experience, you experience a far deeper presence of God in your life than you do almost at any other time. Let your love for God be stronger than the temptation you're facing. Here's the fourth thing. Refocus your thoughts and actions. We see this in 10b. He refused to go to bed for her or even to be with her. Joseph didn't succumb because he refocused what he thought about and what he did. You see, Joseph wouldn't go anywhere near Potiphar's wife. If he saw her in the distance, he would walk a different way. If he knew what her movements were that day, he would plan his day differently. There's a very suggestive and a very hypnotic song that kind of came out about 15 years ago. Most of us will know what it is that Kylie Minogue sung called Can't Get You Out of My Head. That kind of has this hypnotic beat that goes about it, that talks about how much we can mess with our, how much we think about can mess with our whole being. And you know, we, to overcome temptation, we just can't play Russian roulette with our minds, can we? We can't let our heads get a, messed around by the question that, that teenagers often ask, don't they? About how far is too far? Because when you're thinking about that question, you're already overstepping the mark and you're kind of just flicking around the barrel of the gun as you're waiting to see and press the trigger. Because all we do is we just end up in a mess and get up burnt and get burnt. 
And, but neither can we just overcome temptation, if you think about it, by just blocking it out of our mind. See, if you just try and block something out of your mind, all it does is it just drives you something deeper into your memory, doesn't it? And it just reinforces it rather than resisting it. We don't defeat temptation by fighting the feeling of it. The more we fight the feeling, if you like, the more it consumes and controls us. Because that's how all temptation works, doesn't it? It begins with the thought. The thought captures our attention. What then captures our attention arouses our emotions. What then arouses our emotions activates our behavior. And we act on what we've felt. And the more we focus, I don't want to do this, actually the stronger it draws us into the web. And so the quickest way to neutralize a temptation is to actually think about something else. You see, ignoring a temptation is far more effective than than fighting it. And once our mind is on something else, it loses its power. That's why Joseph decided he wasn't going to go anywhere near Potiphar's wife. And we can avoid a lot of temptations by just not going there. Whether they involve us physically going to walk our feet in a certain places, or whether it involves looking on a screen. You see, there's a lot to be said for just not putting ourselves in compromising positions. Refocusing our thoughts and our actions. And here's the last one. When trapped, run. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You know, Joseph tried everything. He tried everything to make sure that he wasn't going to be in the same room as her. But sometimes life just doesn't work out like that, does it? Because there's evil out there. And people can be devious. They can be manipulative. And Joseph just finds himself trapped. And so he does the only thing that he thinks he can do. And he tries to get out of there as fast as he can. But Potiphar's wife is not only, if you like, relentless and tigress. She's also devious, isn't she? And cunning at the same time. And so she knows no one else has seen what has happened. And so when she throws herself at Joseph demanding sex again, and his claw kind of, she grabs in his arm, she's got the incriminating evidence, or so she thinks. And if you like Victor Hugo's famous phrase that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned could have been invented, couldn't it, for Potiphar's wife. If she can't have him, then no one else will. No one saw the incident. It's her word as an officer's wife against him as a slave. And so she screams and plays the victim. She falsely accuses Joseph of, of raping her and before you know it, His guilt is assumed and he's thrown into prison. And sometimes doing the God thing may then land us in an even worse situation. And that's where we pick up the story next week. But as I end, you know, with temptation, we'll we'll fail at times. All of us will fail at times. You will fail I will fail. 
doesn't matter what it is, what type of temptation, because we all have our weaknesses and we'll fail because Satan is better at tempting us than we are at resisting. Because he's been doing it far longer and he has no new tricks because he doesn't need any new tricks. So when we fail, and when we fail, this is what I remember. This is what helps me. If you like, as we sang earlier, when Satan tempts us to despair and tells me of my guilt within. I remember that Jesus is wholly adequate to pick me up because he did defeat temptation. And I remember that I am not alone, just like you're not alone, and that Jesus is with me just like he's with you. And he knows what temptation is like. And afterwards, we will, and there will come a time when you do overcome, and when you do persevere by listening to his voice and focusing upon him. Let us pray. I want us in a moment to, to, to listen to a, to a song before the band come and lead us. It's a, it's a song that I, that I heard a couple of weeks ago for the first time and it's kind of struck a chord. Mark and Natalie, it's the one that I was playing at the start of the service. So if we could just get that ready as I pray this closing prayer. Gracious God, your love is amazing towards us. It's endless and it's vast. Your mercy is deep. And Lord, we all know what temptation is like. And so Lord, whichever part of the framework will will help us this morning. Help us to take that and apply that to our lives. Whether it be that it's the no that has to be said. Whether it be thankful and grateful for what we have. Whether it be that our love for you needs to be stronger than the temptation that we're facing. Whether it be that we need to refocus our our thoughts and our actions. Or whether it be that we just find ourselves that we need to run from something at the moment. Lord, we remember who you are and how you did defeat temptation and that we have someone who is not unable to sympathize with us but is completely able to sympathize with us 
because you knew what it was like and you do know what it's like because you're still a man. But you showed us the way to go and the example to live by. And so as we listen to this song now, Help us to hear your voice speak into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Beautiful.